Hey freaks, happy Friday and happy February. I hope you're having a good week. And if not, I hope it's over at least. Uh, my name is Alyssa Canova and this is Freaks and Treaks, the podcast where I delve into two new horror movies each week. And this week's movies are both teen thrillers from 1999. And I know I'm stretching the genre a bit here, but that's my prerogative, and I really enjoyed watching these. First, I watched Teaching Mrs. Tingle, which if you've never heard of it, me neither. But then I watched Jawbreaker, which is one that I've been wanting to see for a while now, and I think has become a bit of a cult classic. Um, but before we delve into those, I just wanted to share that I did see Megan a couple weeks ago and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was so funny and so scary. I loved it. And even though we have seen the killer doll thing before, I just feel like Megan was still like fresh and new. And like while Chucky has always been very tongue in cheek, Megan is a comedian and she can sing and she can dance and it's just so much fun. So I would definitely suggest you go see that if you like fun. Um, but I do also want to say that the Child's Play remake that came out a couple years ago with Aubrey Plaza was also really good in my opinion and kind of touched on some of the same things, but also had like a completely different perspective. And I really liked it. So those are my bonus recommendations for the week, I guess. Um, Maybe I'll do an episode on them later on. I'm not sure. No promises. Um, but while I was at the movie theater, of course, I saw a trailer for the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, Knock at the Cabin. I feel like it should be called Knock at the Cabin Door. Like, that seems just correct to me. Like, I don't know. This is like House of Dragon all over again. Um, but it looks pretty bad. And I mostly just don't have any faith left in this guy and it's really sad because M. Night Shyamalan was such a big deal when I was growing up and he was really like important in the genre and like Signs, The Sixth Sense, The Village like those were my favorite movies and they're amazing um then The Sixth Sense actually came out in 1999 so kind of comes a uh, full circle but like god The Sixth Sense is so good and then it's like uh, you see how far he's fallen like have y'all seen old it's so bad <laughs> so I just anyway um in more personal news I feel like I was in a bit of a depressive episode this past week um but it didn't go too deep I feel like I am coming out of it um just been playing a lot of online chess um and while law school can be fun it is also just very tedious and I'm really glad that I'm giving myself permission to make this silly little podcast. And anyone who bothers to listen, I just really appreciate it. And I know I'm still getting my footing, and so I just really appreciate your patience with all of that. So without further ado, let's get into it. The year is 1999. Teaching Mrs. Tingle stars Katie Holmes as Leanne, a dedicated high school student who is this close to being valedictorian and she's played opposite Helen Mirren who plays the titular Mrs. Tingle who's an abusive uptight high school history teacher who stands in the way of Leanne making valedictorian and I love Dawson's Creek I love Katie Holmes I love watching her she's just mesmerizing but like at this age she is just 
she just is Joey. And the entire vibe of this movie feels like it could have been an episode of Dawson's Creek. So if you're into that, you might like this. Um, but it was written by Kevin Williamson, which is the guy who wrote the Scream movies. It has this incredible soundtrack. And it has one of those like opening credit sequences where you're like, this was supposed to be a big deal. Like, big 90s high school opening. And then we see Molly Ringwald's name in the credits. So we're just like waiting for when she's going to appear, of course. Um and Michael McKean plays the principal, and Jeffrey Tambor plays the gym coach. Uh, Jeffrey T- Tambor is the dad from Arrested Development, so just picture it. <laughs> um, but the movie starts um, in Leanne's bedroom, and she is like finished working on this really elaborate history project. And her mom works as a waitress, and they're basically talking about like how she's gonna find out soon if she's valedictorian. Um, and if she is valedictorian, she'll be able to get this really um, important scholarship that is going to just, like, set her up for college. But if not, she doesn't really have any uh, financial way to go to college. So, yeah, the stakes are, like, very high for her. Um, so, anyway. So, Leanne's friend JoLynn picks her up and they ride to school. Um, and JoLynn is like, she's going to be an actress. She's very bubbly, very charismatic, enthusiastic. Um, and it's like the last week of school. And so she tells Leanne to dare her. And so she does. And so then JoLynn goes up and kisses this guy who she's like had a crush on since third grade. Um, his name is Luke. He's a very pretty boy. Like he looks just almost exactly like Skeet Ulrich, but it's not him. (laughs) Um, But we see Mrs. Tingle, you know, she's very buttoned up, very nice suit. Um, She, like, is talking to the principal in the hallway, and he's, like, uh, she's, like, asking about supplies that she wants for her classroom, and he says that um, they just don't have it in the budget, and so then she makes a crack about it being like the four-year anniversary of him being sober and she's like it's almost unbelievable and it's like damn like everyone hates this bitch like she's just she's just evil right and so back in her classroom um the students are preparing to present their like final history projects and JoLynn is doing like a Marilyn Monroe impression and Miss Tingle just like totally mocks her for it One kid pulls out a crossbow, and when he does, like, everyone ducks, and he's like, don't worry, it's not loaded. But then he decides to load it. (laughs) He looses an arrow and almost kills this girl in the back of the class who, like, puts a book up in front of her face, and, like, the arrow was, like, this close to... The arrow was, like, this close to her face. Like, anyway. But that girl in the back of the class, her name is Trudy Tucker, and she's, like, also vying for the valedictorian spot. So, um... Anyway, so after that, um, Leanne gives her presentation and she's made this book, which is supposed to be like the diary of a girl that was burned at the stake in Salem. And she's like, she's like made the leather binding herself and she's like aged the pages and she's like literally written a book, basically. And, you know, Mrs. Tingle like tears her apart. She like tells her that she's always playing the victim and blah, 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 blah basically tells her that she's crazy if she thinks she's getting an A. And so after class, um, they post the rankings in the hallway. And, like, they still know that, like, their history project hasn't been graded and, like, school's not officially out yet, so they could change. But as of now, 
Leanne is in number two and Trudy Tucker is in number one. And so later, like Leanne is in the gym with JoLynn doing extra credit work. Luke comes in and he like cracks open a beer and he's just like joshing with him. And Leanne is like being very uptight and she's like, you were going to get us expelled. And I don't want to like flunk out of (laughs) high school, like right before it ends. And he's like, okay, well, I have Mrs. Tingle's history final. And he had like made a copy of it. Um, And Leanne is like very tempted by this because she's desperate to be number one um but she doesn't take it and he like almost leaves it on the floor and she like doesn't want them to get caught so she just grabs it as they're walking out um but she like haphazardly throws it into her bag so then they're walking out and mrs tingle is walking in and then she like snatches it out of her bag and is like busted um so she goes to the she goes to the front office to talk to the principal and Molly Ringwald is there. She's playing the secretary. And she basically tells her that, like, uh, the principal's out for the evening. And so Leanne is, like, freaking out. They know they're going to get expelled. Um, But Luke and JoLynn are basically just like, we will go explain everything to Tingle. Like, it wasn't your fault. It'll be fine. And so suddenly it's nightfall. And they're at Tingle's house, which is, like, gorgeous. Like, spiral staircases, stained glass windows, vintage furniture like everything is just uh, like and it's like who is supplementing her income because there's just absolutely no way um so JoLynn goes up to the door by herself and Tingle has this like really cute little dog um but JoLynn says that she stole the exam and that Leanne if anything was just trying to like talk her out of cheating and she like cries and she makes up the story about her mom being sick and Miss Tingle is just like I hope you're a good waitress and just shuts the door in her face. So after that, Leanne goes up to the door and is trying to talk to Mrs. Tingle and try to convince her to not turn them in. And she kind of like, Miss Tingle kind of like leads her inside and is just like toying around with her. Um, and Leanne just like keeps asserting her innocence, but then like Luke busts in and is trying to defend her. And then he's like, fuck you lady. (laughs) And things start escalating quickly. And then JoLynn like runs into the room and she starts defending Leanne. And then, you know, Mrs. Tingle is like threatening to call the cops. And at this point, Luke pulls out the crossbow and points it at her. And so then he keeps like getting closer and closer to her and is like, we need to teach you a lesson not to treat people like this. Um, but then Leanne yells. And so he looks away. And at that point, Mrs. Tingle like knocks the crossbow out of his hand and like puts it down. And then she goes to the phone and Luke like tries to stop her and he and she like slaps him in the face. Um, and the, jo, that's when JoLynn picks up the crossbow and shoots it at Mrs. Tingle. And she like slumps against the wall and like, goes unconscious and so they're like what the fuck happened and they go to look at her and they realize that the arrow has like grazed her head so she's not dead but she's not good um and so they're trying to figure out what to do and JoLynn is like should we finish her and they're like no um and they carry her upstairs and they put her in bed and then they tie her wrists to the headboard um and then Luke mentions that she looks like the girl in the exorcist But anyway, uh, Leanne has to go home because she has to make sure that her mom hasn't burnt the house down by falling asleep with a cigarette in her hand. And so then JoLynn and Luke are like camping out in Mrs. Tingle's bedroom, hiding out on the floor. And JoLynn wakes up and Mrs. Tingle is like trying to talk to her, trying to get her to get her to untie her. 
Um, and she's like, I'm in pain. My eyesight's blurry. I need to see a doctor. And so Joe Lynn starts like untying her wrist. And of course, as soon as her hands are free, she starts choking her. And so Luke pops up and points the crossbow at her again. And then they just tie her up again and they put a gag in her mouth. That way she can't, you know, manipulate them again, I guess. And Joe Lynn tries to have this like romantic moment with Luke, but he's just like not into it. <laughs> But the next morning, Leanne shows back up at Tingle's house. She, like, picks a flower from the garden. Like, oh, this will smooth things over. I'll give her a flower from her own garden as a gesture of our apology for kidnapping her and keeping her prisoner in her own home. Like, what the fuck? But anyway, so she goes in and they they make this little breakfast that they're going to bring her in bed. And there's this really cute part where the dog is like sitting in like a little drawer in the fridge. And then Luke is just there with the fridge open, like feeding the dog like pickles and peanut butter and shit. It is so adorable. But anyway, um, JoLynn calls the school. She pretends to be Mrs. Tingle. She does like Mrs. Tingle's voice and calls in sick. Um, and the principal and the secretary are just like, hell yeah, I hope it's serious. They hate her. Um, but anyway, so JoLynn brings the breakfast into Mrs. Tingle and removes her gag. Um, actually it wasn't JoLynn, it was Leanne. Um, and she's trying to play all cool and reasonable and she's like, we just need to move on from this. Like everything will be fine. You just have to move on and act like this did not happen. And we will forgive you for being a bitch to us. <laughs> like acting like those are like reasonable terms at all in this situation. And Miss Tingle doesn't budge. And so Leanne is like, it's time for plan B. And Miss Tingle's like, oh, plan B. And Leanne's like, oh yeah, are you scared? And Mrs. Tingle is like, oh no, things are just getting fun. <laughs> and so Leanne and Luke decide that they're going to go to school and JoLynn is just going to stay home all day watching Mrs. Tingle. And so back at school, the secretary, Molly Ringwald, is acting as a substitute for Mrs. Tingle's class. And I'm noticing again that there is a Confederate flag in the classroom and I'm just not sure why. But anyway, back at Mrs. Tingle's house, JoLynn is just like laid out on the floor. She's so bored. So she starts to reenact like an entire scene from The Exorcist of like an exorcism and it's actually like really good like she like does like all the voices and like the body movements and like this girl has chops like it was honestly <laughs> fascinating to watch um but later she uh goes to mrs tingle and she takes her gag off and gives her a pill i guess it's tylenol i don't know um but then mrs tingle starts trying to like manipulate her into thinking that uh, Leanne is trying to steal Luke from her and that they have got this like romance going on uh, behind her back. But JoLynn is not buying it. And Leanne and Luke get back from school and Luke's plan is for them to take photos of him with Tingle in his underwear to blackmail her, make it look like they were having an affair. And like at some point, Leanne is just like, she's like, this can't be the only way to get into college. And it's like, that's true. You could take out student loans instead, like the majority of people do. Um, that would be far preferable to whatever the fuck is going on here. Um, but Tingle can like hear them all scheming because there's like a vent that leads from the living room, like upstairs to her bedroom. But anyway, then Leanne starts like snooping around in Mrs. Tingle's office and she sees everyone's like graded history projects and hers has a C on it. And instead of there being like a post-it on it with like a C on it, she wrote the C like right on to like the aged paper, like onto a journal entry. And it's just like, 
that's the last straw, man. <laughs> um, so anyway, Luke is like trying to like warm up to Mrs. Tingle, I guess. I don't know. He's in bed with her. He's feeding her fast food and he pours himself some wine and then he gives her some and she starts being like, you know, the police get involved. You have the least to lose. And he's like, I literally don't care. <laughs> and, you know, of course. And she kind of starts messing with his head and talking about how Leanne like wants him but won't won't be honest about it and she can tell that he likes Leanne um and Luke tells her that they kind of hooked up once at a party in 10th grade but that afterwards Leanne just like totally rebuffed him so it just never went anywhere um but anyway Joe Lynn and Leanne come into the room and they break up the party and they're getting ready to do the photos um when the gym coach comes through the outside gate and so he's like coming in with like a bouquet of flowers and his bike outside like showing up for some booty call I guess and so he walks in the door and he's like shouting hello but no one is answering him and then he walks up to the bedroom and Joe Lynn is in the bedroom and she does like Mrs. Tingle's voice again and keeps telling him to go away um but he just is not taking the hint but he finally goes downstairs and like the scenes that ensue from this are just like very silly, <laughs> you know, like they blindfold him and they get him really drunk so that he passes out and he's gets like very touchy and basically like tackles Luke because he thinks that Luke is Mrs. Tingle and then just like immediately passes out. And anyway, they drag him upstairs and they lay him next to Mrs. Tingle because now their plan is to just expose their affair to the world, which would be particularly bad for him because he has a wife. Um, and, you know, Mrs. Tingle keeps telling them that they're going to ruin this man's life. And Leanne is like, oh, like the way you ruined mine. <laughs> and it's like, girl, get a grip. But anyway, they get the photos and then they get him dressed and they go to bring him outside and they drive him, I guess, like to his house and like put him on the porch. Um, and then like Leanne looks inside and like sees his wife sitting there and she like gets all sad. Oh, the consequences of her actions. Um, but then back in Mrs. Tingle's house, JoLynn is entertaining her again. Um, but Mrs. Tingle starts telling her the story about how, you know, she wanted to get out of this town, but she fell in love with a man who later left her for her best friend. And she never thought that her best friend could be capable of doing something like that. Um, and it soon, like, becomes apparent that she's just trying to manipulate her again. And JoLynn is like, you're lying. And Tingle is like, he's always going to go after someone unattainable. And by the way, they've been hooking up since 10th grade. Um, and JoLynn is, like, crying and is like, it's not true. Um, but then uh, she leaves. <laughs> um and so when Leanne and Luke get back from dropping off the film at the 24-hour photo developer, um, JoLynn isn't there. Uh, Tingle is still tied up, but she says that JoLynn went home because she was tired of being Leanne's lapdog. Um, Leanne tries to call JoLynn on the phone, but the mom is like, she doesn't want to talk to you. We'll work it out tomorrow. Um, and then so Mrs. Tingle is like, your move, which like... <laughs> This movie, like, has this vibe that, like, you know, this is an equal fight because, like, even though, you know, these kids are being ridiculous and did unnecessarily violent, like, she's, like, the master manipulator and she's rolling the dice. But it's, like, in actuality, this is a little old woman 
who lives alone scared absolutely shitless who's been tied to her bed for like over 24 hours now and so i just it's it's ridiculous (laughs) um but leanne is like why are you so bitter it's like maybe because no one gives her any fucking respect (laughs) i don't know um but mrs tingle like starts going on about how like silly their generation is and she just starts tearing leanne apart she's telling her that she's gonna end up just like her mother she's gonna stay in this town be a waitress and then there's like this really creepy shot where you know mrs tingle is like leaning back but then she like leans forward like right into the camera and she's like i know you and then Leanne just looks like completely just like emotionally broken. And she like leaves the room as if she's been shot. And so she goes downstairs and she sees that Luke has like pulled Mrs. Tingle's grade book out of her bag. And there's a fire roaring in the fireplace and they're both soaked from walking in the rain. And she just like Leanne just like jumps his bones and she like they start making out on the like chaise lounge and then they totally bone and Mrs. Tingle has to listen to the whole thing through that vent that connects the rooms um and so then after they're done um Leanne debates whether or not she's gonna change her grade in the grade book and she's just like I just don't know if it's right (laughs) and Luke is like what is right anymore like we've had a woman tied up in her bed (laughs) for a day So anyway, she changes her grade from a C to an A, and then she also gives Trudy a B instead of an A, just for good measure. And so the next day, Loverboy is making scrambled eggs in the kitchen like he fucking owns the place. And as Leanne is, like, getting ready to go to school, uh, she's like, sir, last night. And Luke is like, yeah, it was a one-time animal thing brought on by an extremely masochistic situation. Which could totally be a line out of Dawson's Creek. And anyway, she's like, but it was fun. And so, like, they're good, but it's like, uh, we don't really know where their relationship stands. But anyway, Leanne goes to school. She brings the grade book. She drops it on the guidance counselor's desk. And so the secretary is still, like, covering for Mrs. Tingle. She's teaching the history class. And she is really getting into it. She is dropping profanities. She is really, like, painting a story for these kids. Um... And she posts everyone's uh, project grade on the back wall, which, like, I don't know how she got the grade book so quickly and then also, like, typed up a document with with everyone's project grades on it. But she did. Um, Anyway, so the grades show that, like, Trudy got a B and Leanne got an A. And Trudy starts throwing a tantrum because she doesn't want to lose her rank. And, like... They really paint her to seem like a crazy person, but it's like the worst that she does is like destroys her own project. Whereas Leanne is literally abducting a woman and trying to extort her. So it's just funny. Anyway, back at the house, Luke is going to bring Mrs. Tingle breakfast, but she's broken free and she just like tackles him from behind the door. Um, And then Leanne is trying to leave school as quickly as possible. And the secretary catches up to her and she's like, I've been trying to catch you. Mrs. T's grade book, grade book was stolen and some students' grades were altered and yours was one of them. And Leanne is like, oh, no way. <laughs> and the secretary's like, and I just spoke to Mrs. Tingle. And Leanne is like, you just spoke to Mrs. Tingle? And she's like, well, yeah. And so she just runs away. <laughs> and she runs to Mrs. Tingle's. 
And well, first she runs outside the school. She runs into Joe Lynn and Joe Lynn is giving her the cold shoulder. Um, and when Leanne confronts Joe Lynn, Joe Lynn asks if she slept with Luke and Leanne is like, God damn, good news really travels fast. Um, but so Joe Lynn just like ditches her and Leanne goes to Tingle's house. Um, but upstairs she finds Luke tied to the bed with a lampshade on his head and he's totally knocked out. Um, and she goes downstairs to find Mrs. Tingle and she hears her on the phone with the principal discussing the grade book, but she hangs up pretty abruptly. Um, and Leanne is just like sneaking through the house, but Mrs. Tingle sneaks up behind her and Leanne is like, how long have you been on the loose? Like, it's not her house. <laughs> Leanne, are you serious? On the loose. Oh, my God. Anyway, so Mrs. Tingle says that the principal's on the way. And she's going to tell them that a student and her lover stormed her house to steal the grade book. And Leanne is like, no, I won't go along with that. As if it is that far from the truth. <laughs> and Mrs. Tingle is just... Again, using her powers of emotional manipulation to be like, you're going to end up just like your mother with a little name tag and a graveyard shift. <sighs> but anyway, JoLynn shows up in the doorway and she's like, I'll be Mrs. Tingle's alibi. I'll just validate everything she says. And then she goes to stand next to her like they're partners. But then she's like, psych! And she pushes her out of the way and she aims a crossbow at her. But then Tingle is like, uh, aren't you missing something? And she holds up the arrow and JoLynn is like, ah, <laughs> she literally just screams and throws the crossbow. But now Tingle has the crossbow and the arrow. But anyway, Tingle and Leanne are doing some hand to hand combat for a while. And I don't even know how they made it up the stairs, but then Tingle falls down the stairs and she seems still, and Leanne goes to check to see if she's alive, at which point JoLynn says, is she alive? Of course she's not. <laughs> Psych, she, you know, wakes up. She chokes Leanne, and Leanne, like, gets away, running towards the door. And so Tingle, like, grabs the crossbow, and as soon as she shoots it, like, at the door, like, someone was walking in. And they go to see who it is, and they see, like, a girl who's, like, fallen down, like, on the arrow in the foyer, um, with like the arrow seemingly like sticking out of her abdomen. And when she gets closer, she sees that it's Trudy. It's Trudy Tucker who's coming to complain about her B on her history project. And Leanne bends over and like checks her pulse. And she's like, you've killed her, Mrs. Tingle. And so then like the principal comes, comes through the door and Leanne is like, tell him, Mrs. Tingle, tell him what you did. And Miss Tingle is, like, mortified. Like, she can barely speak. She's just, like, can't believe what she's done. And Tingle, she's just like, I just wanted I just wanted you to learn. And Leanne says, no, you wanted me to fail. And Tingle is like, yeah, I guess I did. And now she's dead and I've killed her. And suddenly, Trudy shoots up. And we see that once again. The arrow has not gotten her. It has been blocked by her yearbook or whatever. And she collapses back on the ground. So, like, somehow, like, the arrow, like, made her, like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but it's really, it's a it's a real bait and switch type situation. And so, either way, Mrs. Tingle has, like, confessed to this. And so the principal calls the cops. And then we just cut to graduation. And I guess Mrs. Tingle is in jail. Don't know where Trudy Tucker is. Don't see her at graduation. But Leanne gets valedictorian and, you know, she's still friends with Joe Lynn and she keeps the guy 
And they all walk off together, like, smiling like it's a beautiful day. Like that, <laughs> that big Katie Holmes smile. It's like, what? Where are any of the consequences for their actions? Like, this is, this movie was ridiculous. I can't say that it wasn't fun, but absolutely ridiculous. Like, I don't even... I don't even know where to begin with this because the plot is just bonkers and these kids just conducted absolute mayhem (laughs) and they uh, received no consequences whatsoever. So that's pretty horrifying if you ask me. (laughs) Um, But anyway, that was teaching Mrs. Tingle and boy, she got taught, I guess. So same year, different town, presumably 1999. Jawbreaker. This movie stars Rose McGowan as the Queen Bee for bitch. Her name is Courtney. Um, and it also stars Judy Greer, who plays the loser popular girl. Um, or sorry, loser to popular girl arc. Um, and she also narrates the movie. And Rose McGowan, by the way, is the actress who played Tatum in Scream. And she's amazing. I love watching her. Um, An absolutely incredible villain for this movie. Um, This movie actually even has a better soundtrack than the last. The opening credits played a Veruca Salt's Volcano Girls. And I was just absolutely bopping around, having an amazing time. So excited. It's played over like these, the visual of like a jawbreaker being made in a factory. Um, And so I'm just like pumped for this. And then I see a credit for Marilyn Manson. And so I'm kind of watching the whole movie just waiting for that to happen, um, which is like, that was like the, the the worst thing about this movie, definitely. I mean, just the fact that he was there and uh, playing the worst possible. Anyway, I'll get into it. But so this movie opens with Judy Greer's voiceover describing each of the girls in the popular clique, right? And Courtney is the leader. And then there's Marcy and Julie and Liz. And she has a particular affinity for Liz because she's, in addition to being popular, is actually, like, really sweet. And she helped her pick up her shit when it was all over the hallway instead of just, you know, stepping over it like everyone else was doing. Um, But then she's like, it's a shame what happened to her. And so then we see what happened to her. And she was asleep in her bedroom when it gets stormed by three people wearing all black hoods and those really creepy, like, clear Halloween masks. Um, And one of them pops a jawbreaker into her mouth and then puts tape over her mouth. And then they tie her limbs and then they throw her into the trunk of the convertible. And then the people that are, like, all dressed in black, they undress and they reveal themselves to be these just three super well-dressed teenage girls. And we find out that they were kidnapping their friend because it was her birthday and they were going to bring her to breakfast. And, you know, they're, like, super excited. They're like, she's going to (laughs) die. And then they get to the diner and they pop the trunk and, like, one of them is, like, poised to, like, take a picture as soon as they open the trunk. And they do, and the camera flashes, and they see that she's dead. Like, her body has gone pale, and her eyes are open, and she has these very chilling blue eyes. And so, Courtney is pretty calm and collected about everything. The other girls are starting to freak out. And they're like, you put a jawbreaker in her mouth? And she's like, I thought it would be funny. Ha ha ha. But Courtney is a uh, sociopath. Um, So, they're driving. They're trying to figure out what to do. Um, 
And basically what Courtney says goes. Um, the other girls just don't really have a backbone. And like as far as bad girls go, Courtney is not so much a Regina George. She's much more of a Blair Waldorf. She definitely has that kind of vibe going on. She's very poised, but she also has this really like toothy smile she does when she's being like extra bitchy. And it's frankly chilling, like a beautiful performance, honestly. But she tells the girls that they're obviously going to be suspects because they're all best friends. And so her big idea for the moment is to call in sick for her. So here we go. (laughs) Another classic impersonating someone's voice to call in sick uh, to the school. And so she calls pretending to be Liz's mom. um, And the counselor or the principal, I'm not sure, um, takes the message but the actress who plays her is the drama teacher from confessions of a teenage drama queen do y'all remember her she's so funny and as funny as she was in that movie she's just as funny in this movie like absolutely delightful so later at school she asks courtney to pick up liz's homework for her before she leaves and they go throughout the school day and there's just random scenes like stitched together but this movie truly has incredible set design And in addition to like the soundtrack and the outfits and the colors, it's just such a fun watch, like very, very of its era. Um, But anyway, at the end of the day, their friend is still dead in the trunk of the car. So they decide that they're just going to put her back in bed and let her be found there. Um, And her parents are still out of town, so it's going to be perfect. And they're trying to come up with, like, a story. And Courtney is just callously like, oh, maybe she had a dude over with a sugar kink. Or maybe she got raped or blah, blah, blah. They're, like, at, they're trying to figure out what to do. And then, like, they're, they realize that she forgot to pick up the homework. So she goes back to school. But the counselor slash principal woman, she gives, she had given the homework to Judy Greer's character. And Judy Greer's character is this little girl with, like, long frizzy brown hair and bangs and a retainer and she's honestly adorable and her name is Fern Mayo and Fern is literally obsessed with Liz her name is Liz Purr and when when the principal is like do you know Liz Purr (laughs) Fern is like meow she's the cat's meow (laughs) she is obsessed with her and so she is stoked to bring her homework to her So she gets the homework and she goes and she is like standing outside her front door and she's just like practicing how she's going to talk to her and like fantasizing this conversation. And so Courtney and the girls are like quickly trying to move Liz's body uh, like back into the bed. But rigor mortis has set in. So every time they like move her limbs, it's like it's awful like cracking sound. It's so gross. And it's, like, impossible to, like, position her properly. But, like, they rip her panties. And Julie is, like, trying to be the voice of reason. She, like, really does not want to go along with it. But she just keeps getting beaten into submission by Courtney. And so while Courtney and Marcy are trying to, like, set the scene, uh, Julie is just, like, looking around at stuff. And she picks up this birthday card. And when you open it, the recording says, what are you doing to me? So she opens this birthday card right as they're like moving her legs around. And so then they hear her voice saying, what are you doing to me? And it's so freaky. And they're like, oh, no, shit. It's just like the birthday card, which like under what context was that what was recorded in the birthday card? I don't get it. But anyway, Fern is like creeping up the stairs in the house and she hears the girls in the room and she hears Courtney confess 
saying i killed liz like we have to deal with it but when they when the girls see her there they like open the door but they're like standing in the way so fern can't see and courtney is trying to figure out what fern knows and so she's yelling at her being like what do you know what did you hear then eventually fern does see the body and so courtney is like okay listen we're gonna make you one of us and we're gonna give you a makeover and we're gonna like let you into our world but you cannot speak of this ever again and so of course uh, that offer is just far too tempting for a uh, little fern to pass up so she becomes one of them um and she basically takes over liz's place but the makeover sequence in this movie is really interesting because it's like interspersed with scenes of like a mortician giving like a demonstration of how they like do up the dead for their funerals or whatever and anyway fern goes from having this like long brown hair and bangs to having this short blonde hair and i swear to god her neck grows like five inches and she starts wearing outfits that are entirely hot pink absolute icon behavior and so back at school um julie doesn't sit with courtney and the other girls but she does try to talk to courtney and she's like liz's parents are getting home today we need to tell somebody what happened and Courtney insists insists that there's nothing to tell. Um, and then, like, they're, Courtney's sitting with Fern at lunch, and she's like, we never eat at lunch, and especially out of brown paper bags. Um, and then this guy, Dane, comes over, and Courtney introduces Fern as Violet. My Violet. And so that's basically her name now. Um, Violet, kind of like Violet, but not. It's spelled like Vivance, so... Anyway, that's her name now. <laughs> so Julie, it's at it's the end of the school day. Julie is about to get on the bus, but this like dude offers her a ride instead. And so they start having this little romance. But then we have this scene of Courtney fooling around with a guy. Um, but she gets interrupted by the police who take her in for questioning. And this movie has a lot of gay undertones, like beginning with the fact that Fern slash Violet was very much in love with Liz, but also the fact that Courtney definitely appears to be very jealous of that and doesn't appear to be interested in like any of the guys at her school. She pretty much just brushes them off all the time. And this guy that she's fooling around with, she has a popsicle and she's basically making him perform fellatio on it. And she's just like teasing him with this, not actually like, Anyway, like, like, I kind of love it. Like, you go, girl. But also, that is not straight behavior, I don't think. <laughs> but anyway. So they're all being questioned by a detective, Vera Cruz. And she asks the girls, like, who was Liz with that night? Who is she fucking? And then she, like, shows them all a jawbreaker as, like, an intimidation tactic. And it's very sinister. And, like, the girls are freaked out. But Courtney is, like, very cool and collected. And Violet, at this point is mostly too interested in her new social status to really care about what happened to Liz. And now Courtney has made it her goal to find Violet a man. And she decides that that man is going to be the drama student star, who also happens to be the guy that Julie is currently into. So, of course. Um, so she sets Violet up to audition for the school play. But then when Violet gets questioned by the detective, she goes on and on about how she used to sit behind Liz in class and stare at the freckles on her neck and like make constellations out of them in her head like is that not the gayest most psycho killer shit you've ever heard 
Like, she said this to a detective. Like, and she was, like, all goony-eyed. Like, girl, get a grip. But anyway, so then Courtney goes to the detective, and she's like, I need to, like, tell you some stuff that I hadn't told you before. She said that Liz had a craving for strange men. And that Courtney was the only one who knew anything about it, that Liz was very private about it. And so we see this, like, scene that's playing in her head of, like, being in this gross bar and a bunch of creepy middle-aged guys all turn to drool at this high school student who's there. The high school student being Courtney is describing as Liz, but who is actually herself. And so then the one that she picks out to take home is none other than Marilyn Manson, the absolute creepiest person there. And so then we see this scene where Marilyn Manson and Courtney are like fucking on the bed and Liz's corpse is just like underneath the bed, which at the time I thought was like a metaphor, but then I realized is actually very literal <laughs> as to what happened. Um, so now like every, like Violet's status is rising and everyone at school is talking about her like she's Regina George and no one has any idea who she was before and they keep acting like she's a new girl and then she gets to the drama club and she starts in on Julia's man and then we see her seducing this other guy in exchange for a car and I don't know how she managed that but she's like really rising the ranks. Um, and so then Julia, <laughs> Julia's man like tells her about how Violet was coming on to him. And Julia is like, yeah, do you know Fern Mayo? Because that's who that is. And he's just like, can't even believe it. And so then Julia tells him the whole story about how Liz died and about how they took in uh, Fern as a way to keep their secret but then uh, we're back at school and Marcy is telling Courtney that she thinks that Violet has just gone off the rails um, which is true Violet is outside she's on the hood of her car dancing just putting on a show for the whole school and Courtney goes out and just like grabs her ass and is like what the fuck do you think you're doing and she's like I made you and I can break you just as easily and I was like that sounds familiar it's a line from Rocky Horror. But then uh, Julie is trying to tell the detective what happened. So she goes to the t detective and is ready to, like, come clean about everything. And the detective is like, no, like, we figured it out. Liz was having sex with someone that night, and that's who killed her. And Julie realizes that someone must have had sex in that bed after Liz died. And she's realizing that Courtney had sex with some, quote, unquote, poor guy that's going to get framed for murder. So that's when they decide that they're going to take her down. And it's like this guy t like went and had sex with a high school student. So I don't really feel that bad for him, especially considering it's M Marilyn Manson and all the creepy ramifications of this uh, scenario. But anyway, <laughs> Courtney is trying to now take Violet down. So she has put posters all over the school of Violet's like old yearbook photo in it, I guess, like exposing her for once being lame. And it's like, y'all are the stupid ones. I mean, she got a haircut. She didn't get, you know, facial reconstruction surgery. But she, like, sees all this, and she just immediately passes out. And she wakes up in the nurse's station. And she has, like, gauze wrapped around her head. Um, and she stumbles out of the nurse's office. And she's, like, trying to, like, tear down the posters. And it very much reminds me of the scene at the end of The Birds, uh, where Tippi Hedren has, like, her head wrapped up. And she's, like, stumbling um, and I don't know if that was like an intentional homage or if I'm just watching too many movies. Um, 
But there were a lot of those things, like, again, with, like, the Rocky Horror line and the way it ends. Like, there's a lot of just references to other horror, which I appreciated. So now Julie and the boyfriend and Violet are all teaming up to hatch a plan to take Courtney down. And, of course, the idea of pig's blood gets gets thrown around, you know, a reference to Carrie. Um, it is prom night, after all. Um, but back at home, Julie is just sitting on her bed, and her mom brings her in a bag of... Liz's old stuff that for some reason Julie gets it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me but anyway in it she finds that birthday card with the voice recording but when she opens it up she realizes that it has been recorded over and it now is Courtney's voice saying it's now Courtney saying I killed Liz I killed the teen dream deal with it um and so now Julie's like shit we got it we got our proof but anyway so we're at prom the Donnas are performing um but then it's finally time for them to announce the prom queen and of course Courtney gets it and at this point like the boyfriend is behind the stage fucking with the PA system and so when Courtney goes up to get crowned um, over the loudspeaker comes the recording of Courtney saying that she murdered Liz. And so then like the final scene is like her, like everyone yelling at her and booing her and like throwing their corsages and boutonnieres at her. And she's just walking slowly through the room like a pariah. And it's very much like that scene from the Game of Thrones where Cersei is like walking through the city. And there's like this really sick visual where she's like rubbing her face and her makeup's getting all fucked and her face is getting all distorted and everything. And she's like having a full breakdown. And it's like truly like iconic and creepy. But yeah, that's kind of how it ends. And again, we don't really see the consequences like and fully like my nerd brain is like what is how is this situation going to end up because I there's still so many unanswered questions but as you know a piece of art I think it does stand on its own I don't know there's so many great pieces to this movie but I feel like some of the details could have been ironed out a bit cleaner and like I would love to see a remake of this one but it would have to still be set in the Y2K era and like the set design and costuming just amped up to a thousand like true camp like I feel like this movie just it could just be just a slightly bit better and then would just be uh, incredible but either way like I see why the why this is such a cult classic and the next time you have a sleepover with your friends pop this movie on I think you'll have a lot of fun with it but yeah that's all I've got this week um I'm gonna be back next week with some more movies um but until then keep it freaky um don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter and uh, rate review and subscribe bye